Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast where we interview leaders and professionals from a wide variety of careers and lifestyles just like the diverse food options found at a Korean owned hot food deli. Thank you again for all the fans and listeners that continue to support us. Please subscribe to our pod on Apple and leave a five star review. If you don't leave a five star review, don't leave anything. You know what I mean? Because um, we do need that uh, positivity. Especially in a time like this, man, when we are out here grinding, providing all this righteous content for you guys. So with that said, though, uh, this episode, we are talking with Mr. Ron Kim, NY Assembly member representing the 40th district that includes Whitestone, Flushing, College Point, Murray Hill and Queens. That's the hometown, baby. You know what I'm saying? So he was raised and, you know, he was raised and currently lives in Flushing. He's the first and only Korean-American elected to the state legislature. He started his career in public service under Councilman John Liu. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Ron Kim to another episode of 699 Per Pound Podcast. Welcome, Ron. Hey, thanks for having me, having me on, man. Definitely, Appreciate it. Definitely. So just for the listeners, um, you know, just just for uh, sake of clarity jojo is not available today she is actually on a flight going back to la at the moment um so i mean i'm holding it down by myself at the you know for this particular episode but um i mean speaking of john like how long were you working with john because uh, i know john um specifically because uh i was in an incident uh this is during uh the stop and frisk era when i was in high school so uh I got pulled over by, I guess, like undercover police officers that were not wearing uniform. And uh, I resisted arrest, not because, you know, I was just trying to be an outlaw or anything, but it was really because they didn't show me a badge, you know, (laughs) like they wanted me to get into the car without showing me a badge. Right. And uh, it got into a little physical situation. um, And then, you know, they hit me with like a pink slip and... um, one thing led to another i was in john liu's office explaining what happened and then he personally took me to the da's office to um overturn the pink slip i mean mind you it was a pink slip i could have just paid a 40 or 60 dollars and you know call it a day but you know he was really hands-on and that's when i first realized like wow this is why it's important for people within the community to really get involved with politics you know because when when stuff like this happens these are the type of people that we need to represent us um yeah yeah, so i mean with that said like i'm curious to know like how did you even get into this political realm and you know what was it like working with john and you know you're from flushing as well tell us like what was that like growing up yeah man you know i I grew up here i went to public school i went to ps20 PS32. Um, my kids now go to PS32, the same school that I went to. And I, I didn't think I was going to get into politics. You know, what I knew at an early age is that, you know, Asian Americans, uh, especially Asian American men, had a, had a rough. You know, they, we still have a rough. Um, and growing up, I always rebelled against folks and I didn't want to be the stereotypical Asian person, you know, even at a young age, you recognize that 
um, which for me, I found sports. And that's when I realized uh, what the, what, how important it is to break stereotypes and, and push back against people, people's perceptions about who you are. Um, so I ended up playing you know, football throughout high school and college, uh, did a number of things. And when I went to college, I studied political science. And that's when I realized, you know, instead of taking out people uh, on, the, on the football field and earning their respect that way, having a, a platform, um, you know, if you will, a, a, you know, a, a soapbox, a perpetual soapbox to be the voice of people that you knew, that you know, that never got a fair shake. They never had a voice in the system. You know, people like my parents, I don't know, you know, the story where your parents come from, but it's probably the same. We're all immigrants, you know, and my parents had a grocery store and they came here uh, in the 80s. And within 10 years, I, I saw them file for bankruptcy, you know, and, and I was left wondering for years, uh, way into my adult years, like, what the hell happened? to people like my parents, immigrants, small business owners. Um, and that's how I really got into politics and public service. Like I spent my entire public service career trying to connect those dots. Like we used to be good at this, you know, we used to be good at protecting mom and pops, you know, our neighborhood stores, you know, that's where democracy thrives, you know, when our small business mom and pops do well, but we turned, we turned away from that for 40 years. Um, and the fight, still continues for me and we can you know talk about it more but for john i was his first hire uh as an intern you know out of wow. college i was his first hire and i went in um with the list of issues man like i you know you so i i grew up i thought you know interactions with the police too and you know getting fined my boys got you know picked up in central park for smoking weed for you know all this like stupid stuff you know and so i know how that goes and and so i had an inside kind of you know view of, of what reality is and versus what you read in the papers so i went to the police precinct first 109 precinct you know the 109 precinct right yeah of course yeah definitely so out of, so out of college i went there and i was like listen like i just left for a few years i came back and nothing's improved like you gotta resolve A, B, and C for me. Like I felt like I had to do something. And the first place I went was the local precinct. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> like you just you just tried to the I precinct? Like, yeah, I just I was like, you know oh what? man, you, you, you have know, a brave heart. You said you said protect and serve on, right. the, on the side of the curse. So wait, so, so you were out of college and then you just went straight to the precinct? That straight is straight to the precinct, and you know, that summer, and and the guys at front were like, what the hell is this kid talking about? Wouldn't you go? Wouldn't you go look up your local council member? So that's how I went to go see John. Oh wow! Uh, with the list of complaints, like I want A, B, and C done for my community. I want people to pick up garbage. You know, I want to you know do all this stuff that I feel like this is my home. You know, just flushing. We all love this place, and things ain't getting better. Like what's going on? And that's that's how John and I met. And he and he looked at me and he was like, you know what? You just come here and work the summer for me, and you and you can help me fix those problems yourself. Um, and that's how things started for me. And so, while you were working under John, um, is that kind of the time when um, you started to have like political aspirations of your own? Um, not really, you know. But more for again, just in public service, you know, just helping people um, and resolving. 
small problems, big problems, you know, and most of them are, are, are to, to people like us, it might be small problems for the people that come see us. It, it can be like, I don't know what this Con Edison bill, I, you know, is, is telling me to do, you know, because right. they, don't, they don't, they don't speak English. And you know, you right. probably do that to your parents. If you grew up, oh, nah, I mean, I, I still, I still do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, right. I mean, that's, that's essentially a universal story for any immigrant household, right. you know? Right. And, 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 and they just are so grateful, you know, and there's nothing more satisfying um, than resolving an issue, a problem for someone in your community, you know, and I, I, and I got a taste of it at a very, you know, young age out of college. Um, and again, back in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, well, there are people like my parents who believe in the American dream. They came here and they didn't make it and, and, and they're still struggling. What am I, what am I, what can I, what can I do to fix that? And that's been my journey into politics, um, and, you know, and running for office to, to have a seat, not only a seat, but have ownership of our community and, and direct, um, and give direction to this state and this country where we should be heading in the future. Got you. Got you. No, that's, that's, that's incredible, man. Um, so I mean, after you first got elected, um, you know, during one of the virtual town halls, you mentioned that um, actually, I don't think you were the only person that probably experienced this. So, mm. um, you know, you mentioned that um, somebody told you like, yo, after you got elected, like, yo, can you do uh, do the Gangnam style dance? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Ron, like um, when I was a when I was a, a editor for a magazine mm. company I was working mm. with, Double uh, XL, mm. one of my colleagues, and this is just around a time when Gangnam Style really became like a global hit. Mm. And one of my colleagues just in passing asked me like, yo, can you do the dance? You know? <laughs> and um, on one side, I was like flattered, like, oh, mm. cool. Like, you know, yeah. somebody from my motherland is getting recognized globally. But on the other side is like, yo, just because I'm like Asian, right. that doesn't mean I know how to do the dance. Like, just because you're black, like, I don't mm. expect you to do the nene or any like do the Dougie, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, um, so, you know, tell the, tell us a little bit about that. Like, you know, obviously that was one particular incident, but mm. not only that, like you represent a part of Queens. That's arguably the most, uh, you know, large, the largest group of Asian Americans living together in, right. in, a, in a compact space. Yet you still got asked those type of like insensitive questions. Yeah. Um, were there yeah. other incidents like that? And are you still like, are you still, you know, working through those type of um, incidents, you know, instances? Right. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think, uh, I think every one of us had a chip on our shoulders, you know, that, that motivated us, um, you know, as Americans, as New Yorkers to try to fit in. Um, and, that, and that was part of my journey, but it took me a long time to get rid of that chip um, and focus on, what really matters to a community, but those incidents are everywhere. You know, it's, you know, it, and, and it catches you off guard, you know, for example, like you get in an elevator, uh, in a full elevator with someone that just wants to just pick on you for no reason. And will ask, and they'll ask you, Hey, you, you know, that guy, you know, Mr. Park, uh, he owns a grocery store in Buffalo, you know, like in front of others. Right. So there's, 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 Wait, you, hold up. No, no, hold up. You're telling me like you're at like a, a political, like like an Albany, you get into an elevator right. and another councilman or an assemblyman purposely jokes about shit like that in front of you? Right, right. So now 
You and I both know. Like, Yo, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I can't believe this. Like, this is grown men. This is not like kids. <laughs> yeah, no. That, and those are people call them microaggressions, right? Or microaggressive regressive behavior. Um, but it's underlying racism behind it, especially when, when it's in settings like that. It's ill-intended, it's evil, it's racist, and usually wow. done by uh, it's usually done by a white man, older white man. That's been that's been the trend. Now, if it's like if it's one of our boys, so you could t- you could tell the difference between some uh, a comment that has racist underlying tones versus something that's purposely designed to humiliate and belittle you in front of others. You know, like if somebody's joking around and busting your chops, you right. know, and, you, and he's one of your boys, and it's another person of color, to be honest, or another person that we can empathize with. Right. We do it all, we do it all the time. You know, like. Right. It's, but when it's a, when it's a older white man in a public setting, and and you're 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 asked that question, and you're just stuck there, not knowing what to answer, right? For because it's an elevator, you got to get off, and then you see the elevator they're closing in front of you. You're like, oh, shit. Can I say shit? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, now, of course. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Right. Um, and then and then that thought, man, like, you go you go home, you think about it, why didn't I fucking say something to that guy? You know, that's that's racism. That's the detrimental, really hurtful. I'd rather have a guy come to, directly to my face and tell me, you know, go back to your country, go whatever. Because I know, because I can deal with that it's in front of me, right? But it's that psychological impact when they try to get you under your skin and, and invalidate you. And, and Asians, you know, imagine if I'm going through it and I'm an elected official, like I'm in a position of influence and power. Imagine what our brothers and sisters under under these circumstances right now are going through left and right around us. Imagine the imagine the undocumented. Imagine the immigrants that are getting picked on, um, and and that's and, and and that's why I'm so troubled by. What's yeah, going no, on. that's that's. I mean, yo, if you as a elected official is occasionally getting picked on for you know dumb shit like that by grown men. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, all these news stories that are coming out about like uh, targeted hate crimes against Asian Americans, um, you know, these things are real, you know, like, I mean, if anything, like, I feel like people like myself, um, I'm a little bit more privileged because like walking down Flushing Queens, I'm probably not going to feel as threatened because it's such a, a tightly knit community of Asian Americans. But, you know, if somebody is even if somebody lives in parts of New York that doesn't have as, as many um, Asian Americans, I'm sure like you're going to be looking over your shoulders. But with that said, um, can you tell us a little bit about the 40th G- district of Queens? Like what should people know? I mean, obviously I'm very familiar with it, but yeah. just for the audience. Yeah. Flushing district 40. It's one of the most diverse places in the country. You know, we got, over 120 different languages spoken in this in this neighborhood alone. Um, we got, you know, public housing, new condos getting out, going building up, um, single houses, apartments. You got it all. You know, Flushing, you know, has always been um, the epicenter of the immigrant story. People who, who give it up, who give everything up, you know, to come here to be to be near that seven train, the bloodline for all of us to get to. We have to go to work 
um, you see it, you know, even, even during this crisis, you get in that train at 4 a.m., it's still crowded. You know, you got, you still oh, got people. Oh, really? <laughs> Man, <laughs> okay. People still hustling. You know, people right, don't have a choice. Right. Our, our people don't right. get a stimulus check. You know, yeah, like, no, you know, you know, we still got to go to work. We got to hustle every single day. Yeah. You know, and that's always been, the, the, you know, what Flushing represented. But there was a time, you know, when, when we grew up, it was fair. You know, you put in you put in the sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. You know, you you be taken care of. There, you know, you will be you will you be able to move up in the world, right? You know, but there's a reason why America as a country we rank last in upper mobility in developed nations. Right. Let me say it again. We we are we are ranked dead last in upward mobility among all developed nations. You know, so all that work, all that stuff that we're putting in our people, you know, and most of them, majority of them are going to be stuck, you know, in that in that class for, for the rest of their lives. You know, and, and what happens, you know, in a situation like that? You know, we start getting, we start scapegoating, we start fighting, we start, you know, picking on black and Hispanic community members, right? And then they'll, and vice versa. And that's what we've been seeing the last few years on the ground. I don't know about you, but like, I've, I've, I've felt more tension even before the pandemic, you know, just walking around in different neighborhoods than, than ever before. The people are, you know, the opportunities that used to be there for growth are no longer there. No, it's not. I mean, I mean, you know, specifically Flushing, like there was a huge influx of new developments that are happening. Um, oh, you know, like for, but for some strange reasons, like the rent just keep going up. Like the rent on main street is, matches some places in manhattan and uh you know like what you mentioned about about like the tension between uh poc communities i definitely feel like it's been on the uprise when the reality is like it's it's you know we're just really pitted against each other you know um i mean so with with that said though like you know what does your day-to-day look like uh as a uh, new york state assembly member um, what should people know about what you do for the community? You know, yeah, I mean, things are much different now, right? People, we're in the middle of this crisis. We're trying to save lives. You know, people are still stuck behind nursing homes. You know, exposed to COVID and they can't get out. You know, every single day. So we're we're doing everything we can um, to save people's lives because we know what's going on on the ground. But uh, but before the pandemic hit, you know, I would usually be in my office in Flushing or up be up in Albany. You know, we have a full staff uh, in our district office. We help between sixty to seventy five uh, people a day that either walk in or make appointments. Um, these are people with some real serious problems. You know, families getting deported all the way to you know, translating, you know, a letter that they can't figure out. Um, but we've, you know, I've been in office since 2013. So, you know, we served over I don't know, 17, 18,000 cases of, of, you know, mostly immigrants, Asian Americans um, in this district. Right, right. I mean, um, you know, like, I feel like, it, I'm sure it's been a, a huge difference from when you were growing up. But mm-hmm. even for me, when I was, uh, coming up, um, compared to then and now, I feel like there's more money in flushing than ever mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. At least appearance wise, like mm-hmm. new condos, like yeah. I'm seeing like Rolls Royces going down Northern yeah. Boulevard. You yeah. know, like, yeah. um, 
you know, like I'm seeing so many uh, designer brands being purchased by young kids on Main yeah. Street. Yeah. Um, with all that said, like, how has it been for you as a politician? Like when it comes down to like these fundraisers, you know, like, um, has it been more community support? Like, has it been like an influx of, you know, just donations just piling in from people that are living in Flushing now, uh, compared to before? Like, how is that looking like? Mm, I actually, I've stopped taking, I made a conscious choice, um, since last year to stop taking money uh, from corporations, uh, real estate, real estate developers, um, you know, corporate interest. Uh, mm. And, you know, I, I made that choice because like you said, I, I, I've, I, I'm seeing what's happening to Flushing. Every other person that looks at this place sees it with, the, with an extractive lens, meaning what can I extract you know, what value, what wealth, what money can I extract out of Flushing? The people that you see that have all the wealth, the world, you, you have to also see all the poverty that, that used to not be here when we were growing up. Like just today, just a few minutes ago, uh, there were, I saw an old Chinese lady going through garbage to pick up cans. In this crisis, in this pandemic crisis, going from garbage to garbage. You know, if you're walking down Prince Street at 6 a.m., we still have day laborers, Chinese day laborers, dozens of them lined up trying to get a job. On 40th Road, you know, we used to have, before they cracked down, all the massage parlor and sex workers, you know, that got demonized. But they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to make money. They're just trying to figure out how to put food on the table. You know, so, and, 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 and all the casino buses, you know, if you notice... All the seniors, half of them actually just live on that bus and they collect vouchers and sell them uh, when they go to the casino to make some money for themselves every single day. Right. There is so much poverty around us. For every Rolls Royce we see, we see 10 others who are getting priced out and, and they're about to lose their homes and they're about to hit the streets. Yeah, um, no, I, I think I think that's one major point that um, um, statistically they say that uh, flushing, I mean, in terms of numbers wise, like even though, like, as you mentioned, you see a lot of um, increase in wealth or at least appearance wise. But, you know, I, I think I read some statistics a few years back that uh, flushing and parts of that part of Queens is actually labeled as a uh, pretty poverty stricken area. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah one, out of, one out of five Asians are in poverty. Uh, one out of four Asian seniors are in poverty. We are as a minority group the fastest rising uh, group that deal with poverty than any yeah. other. And, and despite all of that, like, you know, we're constantly being um, portrayed as this. Obviously, there are successful Asian American brothers and sisters out there. But, you know, that's obviously not the not not the sole fact, you know. Um, yeah. And I think flushing of anything is like a complete embodiment of that. Like the whole disparity from the very rich all the way down to the very poor that are just you know, surviving off on um, yeah. government funding and so on and so forth. That's right. and, and, and all that money you're seeing is like you said, you know, it's artificial money. These are, this is money from coming from abroad. You know, I yep. see, I see, I see young kids in their twenties where like, I don't even know what they're, where they get getting the shoes from. You got spikes coming out of their shoes. <laughs> my wife telling me like, those shoes are worth thousand dollars. I'm like, what? Like, what yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they're just, it's like nothing to them. And what, that's not real money. That's not real wealth. Real value yep. is, is people like you that grew up here 
that choose to come back, choose to invest, choose to open up a small business, when those people thrive, that's real value, man. That's that's the value that we gotta we gotta get we gotta really you know get back in our community, and we're not doing it. Like we're letting others come in here and letting it letting t- getting all the value out of us. You know the, yeah. the targets, the you know the all these chain stores. And they're not they're not helping our small business. They're not helping the mom and pops. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a major uh, fact a point that I wanted to uh, address as well. Like. I, I mean, as much as I love the fact that there's a Nike outlet, I mean, I do miss urban <laughs> terrain as well, you know, like, yeah, yeah. and, um, you know, so with all that, with that said, though, like, you know, since you mentioned about small businesses and you've also implied that uh, a lot of immigrants that are uh, based in places like Flushing, they don't have access to the stimulus checks or the uh, the pandemic unemployment assistance checks, you know, like, because a lot of them are, you know, for for whatever reasons you know they are not they're not documented right so um but but you know there's also a lot of small businesses that i noticed that um are going out that they can't survive in this in this uh in this climate so uh we were kind of hopeful that a lot of um sba loans were going to be uh given out in a fair manner but obviously that hasn't been the case or at least not yet i know there's multiple conversations that a second or third or fourth bill might be passed with additional budget but with injection but um you know like how what is happening with this with this year's state budget you know do social services and small business support get cut down and you know like i'm i'm, I'm just reading all these reports about yeah, big corporations yeah. taking dibs in this money like tell us a little bit about that yeah i so i voted against um the budget this year um and we almost didn't pass it it was we were actually one vote short of actually denying the governor's proposal uh the governor in the middle of this crisis wanted to cut hundreds of millions of dollars of hospital funding, healthcare funding. Uh, now he was not this past weekend, he proposed cutting 10 more billion dollars into our classrooms, um, education funds. So he's, you know, there, there, there are certain politicians that come from the mindset of uh, what we call neoliberalism. There's a corporate politicians that come out of the seventies and eighties, uh, philosophy. You know, they, they exercise what we call extreme austerity. You could be a Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. They think they, they want to cut programs and make things lean and efficient. Um, what this really means is we starve our government agencies and pro- social programs and, and care sector and allow for-profit companies like private equity funds to come in and privatize everything. Um that's what happened to like our nursing homes. Nursing homes like should be about protecting people, but no, it's about these private equity companies and for-profit businesses making and exploiting every single do- any dollar they could get out of the system. Um, and that's what's happened. That's that's what's happening now in our budget. So we're pushing back. We're, we're fighting back, writing bills, and trying to change the narrative. But what's happening now on TV? I mean, you tune into just like what everyone else. When we turn on TV, we see the governor, Andrew Cuomo, looking like a hero because the person in the White House is just an idiot. You know? <laughs> so, so you could put a ham cheese sandwich in front of the TV every single day. That ham cheese sandwich is going to look better than the president on the White House. 
You know, so so the governor knows that. So this is about him is being in the being in front of TV, looking like an authority every single day. Meanwhile, if you actually dissect what he's doing, he's continuing to starve our state of necessary money. He's not helping. You know, we got people calling my office, file for unemployment for four weeks. They haven't heard anything from the governor's, you know, from the state. And the governor keeps going out and say, "Oh, it's taken care of. We're going to get your check tomorrow." They're not getting their checks. And we're still waiting. You know, he's not canceling people's rents. He's not doing anything to help poor and working class families um, that desperately need it and undocumented immigrants. You know, and I got to say, like, you know, it might be a sensitive topic, but this is a pandemic, man. Like, we are as strong as the weakest link. You know, there's no time to check people's status. Like, these are these are still people who work every day, who deliver your food. And you, you want them to not get tested? You want them not to be part of the system? You know, when you expect them to deliver your food every day? It doesn't work that way. No, I appreciate that because, I mean, these same people that you were talking about, um, they can't even vote for you. And you're like, uh, and you're really vouching for them and you're really fighting for them. Um, you know, I really appreciate you saying all of that, especially as somebody who came to this country um, initially being undocumented and eventually um, sorting the situation out. Uh, it means a lot especially coming from a public servant. Um, but, uh, you know, how does this translate to the conversations you are having in Albany? You know, because you've obviously expressed a lot of strong um, thoughts about what the current state administration is uh, putting forth. Um, how do you, like, communicate about this to uh, assembly members, you know, like, because... Um, like, I, I just kind of want to get a picture of how this goes down. Cause, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not on C-SPAN. I'm not, you know, I'm not watching C-SPAN for, for entertainment. Um, and I'm sure a lot of listeners aren't either. Um, so if you could kind of break that down for us, it'd be great. It's, it's tough. It's, it's demoralizing. You know, we finally got some new blood, you know, we got new members, uh, who are aligned, to understand uh, that we need to change things up. Um, I think when, 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 for example, like when AOC won um, her seat, I think that opened up a whole new class of young folks, uh, people of color, women, you know, running for office, you know, claiming their, their space in politics that at a rate that we've never seen before. Mm. Um, so, so I'm optimistic, you know, that in the next couple of years, there will be big changes coming to local state politics, and rightfully so. And, and, and when the time comes, and I'm willing to step back because there are, you know, and when we, when you and I meet face-to-face, like, you know, I'll definitely link you up with some of these folks, but you have young people, you know, Asian Americans that are active. They're inspiring, man. They're doing God's work, you know, sticking up for, for our people on the ground and, and they're, they're engaged with the black community, Hispanic community, you know, not just in the surface, you know, they they show up, you know, for each other in, in full solidarity, you know, and, and I think, I think those people are going to start to step up and run for office and I'm going to hand off my baton to them and support whatever they're doing because work my words, we will have uh, an Asian American governor, an Asian American president, probably not Andrew Yang. And I don't know how you feel about Andrew Yang, but, Hey man, I, I I just I just made a, a public a public statement. Uh, I called Andrew Yang the Panda Express of Asian politics. 
you know, because it's like, I'm not saying the food is inauthentic, but it's not something that real Chinese folks would probably eat at their home or on a Sunday uh, luncheon. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's yeah. kind of like a packaged fast food version of it, um, you know, yeah. so that's kind of how I look at them, you know. But yeah. uh, I, I, if you could kind of um, explain to us a little bit more mm. about like the voting process, right? So mm. like you as an assembly member go to Albany, a new legislation or a new bill gets suggested. Um, how do you guys get into the voting process? Um, if you could just kind of give us a little quick breakdown for somebody who's not familiar with how, yeah. these, how these things get done you know yeah, at all yeah, no, yeah it's, a, it's a great question it's very timely uh right before i got on here i just we just announced a new bill to regulate and support our nursing homes we've had so many deaths people died in nursing homes so we worked on a bill uh, for the last few days um with a number of people and the way it works is the assembly the state assembly the state senate they both have to pass the same bill and once it's passed, the governor will, has to sign it into law. Uh, the process, you know, can be a short, since, since nursing homes is an emergency, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping that it would pass very soon. Mm. Um, but there are bills that have been lingering for 10, 12, 15 years. Um, like, and we pass it every single year in the assembly and never gets advanced. Like, for example, we've had our own uh, Medicare for All, uh, the New York State version, New York State Health Act that will guarantee everyone in the state of New York healthcare, not insurance, not profit, you know, single payer healthcare. Um, we passed it for, I think, 12 or 13 years straight, and we still have not made it into law. Um, the Dream Act. Christ. Now, you know, you know about the Dream Act, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I know so many of my homies uh, benefited from that because yeah. uh, you know, they were finally able to get real jobs, you know, mm. because of that. And um, Trump was trying to overturn it, and, you know, I saw the pain... Mm -hmm. And the suffering and just just the agony that they had to go through every time Trump was making some sort of statement about that. But I mean, yeah. please go ahead. Like, I don't want to cut you no, off no, too no. long. But so New York has New York also had our own version. Uh, the Dream Act would give financial aid to go to college for undocumented students. Wow, that was our, that was our Dream Act. We passed it for seven years in a row until we finally had um, a change of heart in the Senate and the governor. To make it into law. So sometimes, you know, we go through these efforts over and over, and we sometimes we get so demoralized because we're there to stick up for our people, and then we pass something that doesn't become law, and then we got to come back and explain what happened. It's it can be very stressful, you know. So but, so uh, if, yeah. so so the state assembly members get together and first pass it, and mm -hmm. then it has to go up to the uh, senators, and yeah. then they have to pass it. And yep. then after they pass it, it has to go to the governor and the yep. governor has to pass it. Yes. So it's wow. So it's like it's like the the most challenging video games <laughs> of all time. You know? <laughs> wow. This is I mean, I don't even know if um comparing it to a video game is even correct, but it just sounds so brutally difficult and demoralizing when something that you work towards for seven to maybe even 12 years just kind of get shut down repeatedly yeah no that, that i've had times when like i had enough you know and i couldn't i felt so defeated um at times that i just couldn't do it anymore you know and 
And, and, and during those times, like luckily I found inspiration. I found purpose to refocus. Um, but yeah, the, the Albany, uh, DC, it's not a pretty place. You know, it's run by a lot of special interests uh, to keep the status quo. Uh, to keep money flowing out of, outward out of our communities, you know, to to continue to make um, check check cashers and, and predatory lenders, those type of industries, all the money they want from people in poverty, um, while we don't do anything for poor and working people. Uh, right. That's been that's been that's been the case for years now. Right. Um, so, but I mean, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but. Um, I know like there are lobby groups or agencies and these type of political uh, consulting groups that exist in every aspect of politics. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on like, because, you know, when people think of a lobby group or a uh, political consulting agency, they kind of they have a bad rep. You know, <laughs> like uh, people just automatically assume like things are rigged and you know, I, I kind of want people to listen to this and kind of getting inspired to want to uh, get involved in the political process more, not get, you know, not feel defeated before even jumping in. Um, you know, so can you like explain, like, can you like kind of comment on that? Like, is it true that, you know, political consulting groups exist and, you know, not all lobby groups are necessarily, you know, obviously it's questionable intentions, but, you know, what is your stance on that? Yeah, so the word the word lobby it came out of Albany, you know, because all these people will congregate and hang out around the lobby, trying to push lawmakers to do something for their clients. That's how mm. the word came out, lobbyist. You know, and it's famous, right? And it's been and it, it's really started in Albany. Yeah, on the lobby of Albany, that's where the word lobbyist came out of. Uh, what, and, it's, what, and it still exists. You go to the lobby, you go to the floor. There, lobbyists can't come to the the chamber where we where we legislate, where right. we vote. They have to hang out at the lobby. So we coined them lobbyists. Wow. Um, but there, I mean, there there are lobbyists that advocate for good causes. You know, not good nonprofits, community organizations. Uh, civil rights organizations, they rep they do a lot of positive work to shift the narrative. Um, but they're also, you know, bad lobbyists that continue to represent, you know, really horrible corporations who don't care about the public safety or health. They just want to make money, you know, and, you know, I've been, so for example, uh, like Amazon, you know, when they try to come and get $3 billion of our taxpayers' money, they hired like every single lobbyist to put that deal together, you know, mm. and, and it, this was, this is your money. This is our money. And we know, we know how that money could be better spent uh, instead of giving it to the richest man in the world. But they were just using up as many consultants to put that together. Luckily we pushed back and exposed them and they didn't get that money. Um, but behind that deal, there are thousands of other, uh, deals that many of these companies walk away with. Um, so one good thing is that we're pushing now to get money out of politics. So instead of politicians turning to those very same people, Jeff Bezos in the world, to fundraise for us, what we're pushing forward now is 100% publicly financed campaigns, meaning um, 
we don't need to go if we pass these laws to the you know richest people in the world. Like we can go directly to the people who who will help publicly finance our campaign. So when we get elected, you know we no longer feel like we we are indebted to the wealthiest class. We will be indebted directly to the people on the ground. I mean, yeah, that should have been the case from the very beginning. I mean, uh, you know, as personally, I was a huge uh, a Bernie supporter. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think his uh, message and his agenda um, has had an influence in the overall political landscape. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, 100 percent. I know he dropped that. I was a Bernie delegate, you know, but he's he dropped out. Um, but his platform is winning. Uh, his message, his policies are winning the election. And the more Joe Biden decides to go to the other side, the more the more likely he's going to lose. Like the people are breaking up to, to realize, especially during this pandemic, our system's broken. Uh, we can't even take care of our, our older adults, our seniors in nursing homes. We knew they were in trouble. We knew that people with underlying conditions could die. And we still couldn't take care of them in the richest freaking city in the world. Like, just think about that. You know, nah, like for something's, real, something's, seriously. Not, something's not working. No, definitely. 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 I mean, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a very topical issue as well. Uh, the uh, the census 2020 that is yeah. happening right now. Um, you know, how is your office getting people to fill out the census, and uh, why is it so important? If you could kind of explain that to the people. Yeah, no, we're doing our part, our messaging. We're doing direct mailers. We're calling people, uh, the media. We work with their nonprofit groups to get the message out um, because at a time when we have a president who is so anti-immigrant, people are scared to fill out those forms. It doesn't matter if you're documented or undocumented, you need to be counted in order to get the resources from the federal budget back to our communities. That's why we need to count them. And if you don't, if you're not counted, we also may re- lose representation at the congressional level. We may actually lose a congressional seat because that's how they determine how many Congress members we get and how much money we get and resources we get at the federal government by the census. So, so Trump knows that. So Trump is, is fear mongering, do, you know, doing, sending every kind of message, for example, like public charge telling immigrants that if you are costing the country anything, you may not qualify to become a citizen or we may deport you. All sorts of fear mongering. To, to make people scared not to fill out the census form. So we have to do our part to change the narrative and make people feel confident that they can trust us and so they can fill out that form for us. But I mean, to, to also to the people's point though, um, how can, like, if I have to fill out uh, a form that says, you know, I live in this house with, you know, four other people and out of them, three of them are undocumented, um, and this is all data that's going to go into a government agency, right? I mean, census is not an independent company. So, you know, what is it about this particular program that you believe that the people must trust? They're, they're legally barred from, look, from co-relating that data to people's immigration status. That would be mm. a violation of the federal statute. Gotcha. Um, and then there'll be massive lawsuits. It'll be an uprise, you know, in a way that we've never seen before. Um, you know, so you don't have to disclose your immigration status, you know, mm. but it's important that you count your kids because at the end of the day, if you don't do that, 
it's actually your money you're not going to end up getting uh, while you live here. Um, mm. But moving forward, though, I mean, it is you bring up a good issue about making pe- making people feel like their privacies are protected, their civil liberties, their civil rights, you know, all are protected in a meaningful way. Um, you know, and there's a lot more we can do. There's a lot more technologies. There's a lot more things we can do to make sure that the people's identities are completely private and no one, not even the central government, uh, the federal government, can have access to that data. Um, and I think, I think we'll see those solutions very soon. Mm. But with that said, uh, so I think if someone like myself, right, um, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier during our conversation that uh, – you know, I was able to get in touch with someone like John Liu, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like because he was a city uh, councilman, um, you know, him and his team took care of me uh, and gave given us the time to, uh, you know, bring bring me to the DA's office and so on and so forth. But if I have something of an issue, right? If I have an issue against the state, if I have um, something something happened to me with the police department. How should people reach out to the assembly member of their district? Um, do we, if you could kind of give us a uh, step by step, step step by step breakdown, um, I think that would be great. Yeah, I'm I'm easily accessible in many different ways. I check my social media. Uh, people can email me directly at Kim R at nyassembly.gov. You know, we have uh, contact you know sheets that you can fill out on the assembly website. Um, but if you just Google my name, um, all that stuff is available. And I, I interact with people in, in all those platforms every single day. Um, and, you know, obviously during this time, it's hard to return everyone's email at the same rate. Um, mm. but, we're, we're, but we're doing our best. All my, all my staff members are, um, you know, are practicing social distancing. They're working remotely from home. Um, but we are actively responding and following up with people who are reaching out to us. Um, but there are, but most of the time, uh, when we have when our office is open, people just usually walk in. You know, oh, that's incredible, man. I, I just feel like, um, I, I, you know, I'm sure it's not the only case for uh, our our community, like the Flushing community, but the the way that politicians or public servants are connecting with members of the community where especially the younger people um there's oftentimes i feel like there's a, a little bit of a disconnect and mind you you know when when everything is good people are not looking for saviors right <laughs> it is only when shit gets bad they want to talk to a uh, public servant they want to talk to a police officer or a politician um but w- what do you think is a good way for um young people to that want to get more involved um where do you where do how do you recommend them to start like uh do do they have to have a political science degree like should they join like a debate club you know like uh what are what are some of your suggestions about that i i think it doesn't matter what your background is you know you just have to have passion you know purpose and, and determination to help people um, I think if you have the right heart and it's not about, um, you know, making headlines or, you know, taking a picture and trying to become famous through politics, because most of the time 
people go into politics and they fall in that category, right? They they like to wear their shiny pen and and be on CNN and try to be uh, authoritative and, and famous. And it's, it's very top down. You know, it's very um, authoritative, like, like I said. Um, mm. But those people, I, I don't think they last uh, a while. And even, <laughs> even, even, even if they do, it's, you know, it's a sad sight because they're driven by very short-sighted things, you know, right. whether, whether it's like being vindictive or uh, trying to get a political revenge or, you know, it, it's not, it's not real public service, but, right. but if you truly care, it doesn't matter where you come from, you know, you're going right. to find a way to care for others and care for our community. And I think that's the most valuable word. Like, are you, are you a caring person? You know, do you want to mm. care for others? And it's not obviously like you want to say yes, but it's not that simple. Just think about it. Like our economy, our market that we compete in, we get paid not to care for each other. You know, it's it's cutthroat. It's hyper competitive, man. It's a dog eat dog world. Like, why would I care for you if I if I'm opening up the same you know shop down the block? You know, that's the kind of environment that we're raised in. So, so there has to be a lot more uh, first that needs to happen before we can really engage people in, in a meaningful political leadership uh, conversations. Like everyone's people's basic human needs must be met, and that's why I think so many people, so many young people follow Bernie because they understand they understood that point uh, as a young person. Like, how am I supposed to have a fair shot if I have to pay? Thirty, sixty, ninety thousand dollars of student debt. The moment I graduate from college, how am I going to pay that back? You know, yeah. you know, like all this stuff. The young people understood. Like this is, yeah. You, my parents didn't have this debt. Why do I? Why? Why are you putting me in a lifetime of debt? And, and where are my jobs? Where are my opportunities? You know. Yeah. So when people's basic human needs are met, I'm talking about basic stuff, man. Food, shelter, housing. You know, like people. How, how are people going to live when, when they can't pay rent next month or, or in a couple of days in May 1st? You know, what are they going to do? Are they gonna, like, their people are stressed the hell out and, and, and you got to go to them and say, hey, you know, I know you're stressed, but are you going to care for your neighbor? I mean, right. Yeah, no, like, for real. There's a disconnect here, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's you, like, you got to stop. Yeah. When you're not good, when you're when nothing is in your pocket, when your stomach is grumbling, like yeah. – you know, you don't have the you don't have the luxury to look out for other people, yep. right? Yeah, yep. you're right, man. You're right. Um, I think. Uh, um, I, but you know, appreciate you for saying all of that. Um, breaking that down. Um, six ninety nine per pound podcast is an occupation driven podcast. So we ask all of our uh, guests this question. You know, this is kind of like a uh, glass door type of question. So please don't be uh, taken back from it. What is like the ballpark? of what an assembly member make as a salary? Uh, you know, we just, after 16 years, um, we had a, a pay increase last year. So <laughs> depending on your on your level and your seniority, uh, mm. an assembly member, I think, makes between one hundred ten and $125,000. Oh, it's like... Okay, that's that's pretty solid, <laughs> you know. Like, I mean, obviously, be, yeah, it's comparative we, to different yeah. people, but yeah, we were at seventy nine thousand five hundred for almost fifteen years. Oh wow, got you, got yeah. you. So they bumped that up. Okay, yeah. 
Now, but you know, I, I you know, I do like to um be transparent about these things just because I think, especially amongst Asian households, you know, like um, you know, luckily, like I was in a household where my pops taught taught me that you know, law- lawyers they lie doctors you're not smart enough to be a doctor so you know those two occupations were never forced upon me but um you know i I don't think our parents really know the different variety of occupations that are out there for you know for their children to want to aspire to be in you know the only thing they could see is doctors make a lot of money so do that you know like but I, i don't think they understand that you know public servants um yeah money obviously probably not be the biggest uh, but you know, it's something that people are passionate about. It's also something like people that could do to make a good living, a solid, hard-earned living. You know, so um, I just wanted to get that point across. Um, but coming back to you, though, Ron, like if people wish to, like, what can everyday people do to support your work as a assembly member and the legislation uh, that you are pushing? Um, yeah, stay in touch, you know, reach out to me, uh, follow me on Twitter at Ron T. Kim. You know, I'm very active on in communicating to folks out there, support the bills that we're pushing. You know, we, again, we just introduced the bill today. Um, check it out on, on live stream to, to save people's lives in nursing homes. Um, and we're doing a bunch of things, you know, trying to get done. You know, I do have a reelection, uh, this year. Uh, coming off on June 23rd. Oh, so, wow. How so, is that going to be done? Is it going to be done all virtually? Like, how, how, how is that? No, I think it's going to be mostly absentee uh, ballots. So you can, mail, you can mail in your your ballot. But this is going to be the first, you know, one of its kind. So we'll see the outcome. Um, but, you know, I do have an opponent. He's, he's actually uh, running from the right. You know, he was, to be a, he was always a Republican all his life. And he was, uh, he just... Uh, change parties. He's still an active police officer. Um, and I think, you know, he's running because he doesn't think uh, some of the stuff that I'm doing are a little bit too liberal for him, I guess, or too yeah. uh, too left. Um, but, you know, to, he has a right to run. But So, right, so we course, have to deal with that. We have to deal with that election and, and move forward. So anyway, okay, you know, we appreciate it. Yeah, you're about to get into your combat mode, you know, taking it back to your football days. I pre, you know. Um, so these are two of our wrap-up questions. Um, if you could uh, uh, tell us. So the first question is, uh, the most significant relationship in your life? Uh, yeah, my my kids and my, my wife, <laughs> my family, you know, especially at a time like this, everything, everything kind of simplifies, right? Like, Nothing else matters besides protecting, you know, your loved ones. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Um, I mean, speaking of your family, like you being in a public space, like, you know, what kind of conversations do you have? You know, just because it's not like you just own like a, a, a small business where like strangers don't, you know, like because 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 in your type of position, like you'll have strangers blaming you for stuff. Right. So, yeah. yeah, like, so, like, how, you know, what kind of, like, what's the dinner conversation sound like, you know? And hard, um, my, my, your- my mom is still, she never wanted me to run, you know, she never wanted to be a public figure because, mm. you know, you, you, you know, the Korean kind of. Yeah, like, they talk, they talk. Does she go to church? No, that's the, that's the thing. Like, she's, 
they know that you know we're very super judgmental you know right, a, lot of, right. a lot of titles and a lot of status um and my mom was like ashamed that you know they never made it they never had a a, a mercedes to drive to church to show off you know what mm. i mean so mm. like when you run for office you know i'll tell you a story like that's what they asked for when i first ran the korean community they were like who who, who are your parents like what do your parents do uh, what college are you a lawyer are you married and of course like what church you go to like it's all about <laughs> it's all about like you know trying to try to you know measure me up in, in their success right. ladder right right like like and i failed every one of them so it's like so my mom knew that and she knew that you know this is i'll be taking on a lot of stress from my own community who are super judgmental right um so yeah i mean so dealing with politics, um, yeah, it's always been stressful on, on my parents uh, because they're, they're mm. very protective. Got you. Got you. Well, I mean, regardless of that, you, you're doing, you know, it sounds like you're doing excellent work. And a lot of the agenda and the ideas that you have expressed in this uh, episode, uh, I, I agree with, you know, pretty much all of them. So, <laughs> you know, you have you have uh, my support and that's Thanks, for sure. Um, so the second question that we ask uh, is uh, what is your personal mantra? Um, it's always be learning, man. Just, mm. you know, just wake up trying to grow every day. Yeah. Think, wake up I trying to I, grow yeah. every day. Yeah, man. Like, I think I, I follow you too. And I know, I know you're sharing the same philosophy, you know, always trying to improve yourself. You know, I think you know, one of, one of a black, uh, reverend out in Flushing, I forget his name. I thought he was in Reverend McKitchen from, uh, out in Union Street one, you know, told me one day, when mm. I attended his congregation, he said, you know, if you find yourself in a room with filled with people and you think you're the smartest person in the room, get some of your friends. <laughs> oh, I agree with that. I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Yeah, you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. And I believe in that. Like I always I always gravitate toward people who can improve me. Yeah, you wanna be around black belts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, I mean, um, before we wrap this up, Ron, is there anything else that you would like to add um, to, uh, uh, you know, share this, share, share with our listeners? No, I, I, pre I appreciate you. I appreciate your creativity, you know, and, and, and I'm glad that you're offering a new voice, you know, instead of the conventional Asian American voice that's often out there. Um, so thank you for inviting me on. And I can't wait to just hang out with you when this is over, man. Yo, likewise, brother. Man, this this means a lot, especially coming from you, you know. You're, you're doing uh, amazing work for the community. So uh, with that said, thank you again, Mr. Ron Kim, for joining us. You can learn more about Ron by the website, by stateassembly.state.ny.us slash mem slash Ron Kim. I mean, you could just Google this shit. I don't just, even have to say Ronkim. it. Just ronkim.com. It's all good. Ronkim.com. Oh, just ronkim.com, man. That's all, right. all it is. There's all only right. one Ron Kim in this entire world now i'm kidding but uh <laughs> you could just google ronkim.com and uh remember you can stream this podcast on all major streaming platforms if you want to show some love please hit the subscribe button right now tell a friend to tell a friend each one teach one most importantly rate and share this podcast with your entire network congregation assembly so on and so forth follow us at 699 per pound on instagram facebook twitter for the latest support this hard-working team that's including me but you know we got michael we got marcus we got nicole we got yale and we got lily 
by buying us a $3 coffee at coffee.com slash $6.99 per pound now and setting up a small monthly donation at anchor.fm slash $6.99 per pound slash support. Peace, peace, peace. Hey, yo, it's $6.99 per pound. Podcast.